Good morning. Well, it's good to be back, amen? amen? Hot summer? What do you think hell's like? Amen. But uh, today we're beginning a new series, and it's going to be on the Mass, but it's going to be in a different element, because whether you're Protestant, Catholic, whether you're, you know, you're Eastern, Byzantine Rite, or the Roman Rite, Latin, whether you're Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian or, you know, Foursquare Gospel, Full Gospel, Assembly of God, doesn't matter. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what's the objective? Is you got one life to live, and you need to live it to the maximum. And when you go to a church service, you need to receive the maximum benefits that it brings. But at the same time, what are you bringing to it? Most people attend services without preparing in advance for it. No one comes before God empty-handed. The poorest of the poor could afford two turtle doves. It takes a little effort. But most people, in the way they dress when they go to a service, is a reflection upon their character. To some, you know, God, you know, receives us as we are. We want to be comfortable. We are in our Father's home. On another element, there are those that want to do their, quote, Sunday best. But there are always those that are watching with opinions and a perspective is that they're showing off or these people could care less. The reality is Jesus gives a parable in which this king sends out invitations that are rejected for this banquet, for the wedding feast. Everybody had an excuse. So he said to the servants, go into the highways and the byways and invite. Well, they came in as they were, but one was not properly dressed. And many people assume, well, what was it about his dress? And that's up to speculation. A lot of people, especially theologians, but the reality is he wasn't properly dressed. I see a lot of businessmen, professionals, that normally wear suits all during the week. And when they go to Mass, they're in old torn blue jeans and, you know, uh, getting ready to go to the beach. You know, they just have some old shoes on without socks and an old shirt that looks like it was just rumpled and they just put it on. But when they're in society, it's a totally different element. Yet there are those to whom it is that Blue-collar workers, they, have, they work with jeans and they do this kind of work that on Sunday they have nice slacks and a little dress shirt. But it's the same. But then you have those that ladies go in with very low collars that show their cleavage or shorts, a dress that short or shows and it allows imagination, a distraction from the Eucharist. But people dress the way they feel and as they think, attitude towards 
their dress. If we truly understand what's taking place. Now, truly, the soul, the heart, is much more important. However, it's still a reflection of our attitude towards God. You may have an old poor pair of jeans, but were they washed? Maybe pressed? Was there a little effort given before you just go to church or you say, well, I'm just going to fulfill my obligation? When you go to church, you have to understand what has taken place and who is there. And the reality is, people observe. Understand that. We make impressions upon people. Now, you can't control what they think about you. But at the same time, you don't have to give them ammunition to think ill of you. So when we attend Mass, exactly what is happening? Are we being prepared? Now, what I'm looking to do is this. You need to have an understanding that when you go into a service, a Mass, you're stepping into eternity. Eternity to a degree, that dimension is manifested during that time, that service. And to have an understanding from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture is being fulfilled, enlightened, and participating. You're not a spectator. You're a participant. You're not simply there just to watch. You're called to participate. Because everything that's in heaven is represented here on earth. When God told Moses to erect a tabernacle after the model he had seen in heaven. So what I want to do is we're going to go through scripture, but... What I want to have an understanding is there are certain times of transition, stages, that certain elements took place, manifested, but all serves a purpose that we experience during that time. Now understand this, there are three types of temples. There's a pagan temple. But there is also Solomon's temple, but there's Herod's temple. Pagan, godly, carnal. Herod's temple was for show. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a what? Then a thief. Now, a temple is stationary confining and your body's that temple so it's confined within your body but you're the church so you're the tabernacle in the wilderness going forth you're mobile jesus said go into the world that means the tabernacle of the wilderness 
is now with God's people wherever they go, wherever they move, the presence of God, but at the same time, your body is a temple. Now, what type of temple is it? What is it accomplished through church? The difference between a church and a temple. We're the church. What type of temple are we? And what is church? So we want to look into these things. But the first thing I'm going to do is, in the stages we're going to be going through, is that there are five components in every Christian service. Doesn't matter what denomination. But there are five elements and five components. So normally, you know, what do we have? The first thing you, you understand is that there's the element of community. No man is an island. Wherever two or more are gathered together, there am I in their midst. But can two walk together? At least they agree. And a three-ply cord is not easily broken, Ecclesiastes. We need to be like-minded. The early church was of one heart, one mind, and one accord. Who do you pray with? Who's your prayer partner? Are they like-minded? Can you trust them? We associate with imperfect people, but we ourselves are imperfect. Everything of this world is imperfect. It's under a curse. Our body's under a curse. Like St. Paul said, I don't do the things I should do. And I do things that I really don't want to do, but I notice that there is a war raging within me. The flesh and the spirit opposed to each other. Who can free me from this dilemma? Romans 8, 1. All praise to our Lord Jesus Christ who has delivered me from the law of sin and death into the reign of the Spirit of God. So there's a conflict with community. But Scripture says, as arm sharpens arm, so we sharpen each other. A husband and wife in marriage become one, don't they? Two complete diverse personalities, different backgrounds, likes and dislikes, trying to become one. There's conflict. Hello? Now, maybe not in your marriage, because you have perfect children, and even more perfect grandchildren. But the reality is, conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. And there are politics in everything. And what's politics? It's the art of compromise. But if you're not standing on principle, you're going to fall for anything. You cannot afford to compromise principle. But there's always conflict. And you're going to be in conflict till your last breath. And much of that conflict comes from 
the church, fellow Christians, more than the world. Because you expect from the world. But what happens when it comes from Christians or those who profess to be brothers and sisters in Christ? And yet we're there to worship with them, to praise God. So we see that, that element of conflict. So we bring in our similarities, our likes, but there's still going to be conflict, isn't there? How many getting ready to go to church, trying to get your children ready, had conflict? Why do I have to go to church? Griping and complaining. People don't like me. You got to get up and go to church. But mama, I don't want to go to church. You're the pastor. You got to go to church. Everyone has conflict. You can minimize it. So we come to church with an area that we also praise and we worship. Our Protestant brothers and sisters in the word churches, they know how to praise. We don't. You try to sing in Mass, it's like going to a funeral. It's a dirge, not a celebration. Even happy songs, it's a dirge. Takes most people, I mean, my God. It's like, I don't want people to hear me sing in a church, but go to a football game or go somewhere and hear them scream and yell or a party and get a little bit cossade, alibriated. They don't mind being a little spectacle. Why is it in church? Oh, it's a Catholic thing. It's personal. No, it's not. The works of God are to be made public. Hello? A lantern set on a hill is not to be placed under a bushel basket. It's to shine forth. So we know how to worship because there's that element of reverence. But at the same time, how many times you go into church and you're looking to pray and people are talking? They're getting up. Well, wait a minute. You're in a sanctuary. And you have to understand that. When you go, you are in this sanctuary. And a sanctuary is a refuge for criminals, for sinners. You're a Christian because you're in need of a Savior because we're sinners. Hello? And because we're weak. Just because you're born into a Christian household, family, element, doesn't mean you are. But I've been baptized. Yeah. By definition, you're baptized, even as an adult, you're baptized, but we're going to see by your actions. John the Baptist said, give evidence you mean to repent. What was the theme of Jesus? Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance. In our struggle with conflict, Scripture says, in your fight or your struggle against sin, you have yet not resisted to the point of shedding blood. In other words, being martyred. How many people quit struggling? This is just the way I am. God made me this way. I know God loves me. Who are you to judge me? 
sanctuary. Now, the key is every component, every element, every aspect that we're going to go through in that parish church, in that church you attend, is within yourself. Understand that. So when you get ready to go, you have to have that understanding. What is the condition of the temple? Or has it become a den of thieves or a pagan temple? Understand this. Throughout history, churches, mosques, temples have been built on the foundations of other places of worship. Many mosques were erected over Christian churches and synagogues. Many Christian churches were erected over pagan temples and mosques. How many of you realize that almost for a thousand years, the Muslims were in Europe, in Spain, Portugal, the miracle of Fatima. Fatima is, was the name of Muhammad's daughter. So your body, being God's temple, at one time could have served as a pagan temple, or you've turned it into Herod's temple. So we want to make sure that we have that understanding. Now there's the element of worship, and there's the element of the word, Scripture. And there's the element of Eucharist. Or element of communion. Protestants know the word. They carry their Bibles. Catholics carry their rosary. How do we identify ourselves? They were talking about rock concerts. I said if Jesus himself appeared and was at a stadium somewhere... He wouldn't draw as many that would go to a Rolling Stone concert or Taylor Swift or one of these others. So these elements that's in your life, community, praise, worship, the Word of God, and the Eucharist, to what degree do you put emphasis on prioritizing your life? You're not a solitary person. Woe to the solitary person, for if he falls, there'll be no one to pick him up. No man's an island. We live in a society, and that society is flawed. It's under the curse. It's imperfect. And we're part of that. How easily do you forgive? How easily do you extend mercy? How easily do you see within other individuals Christ, no matter their character, Lord, when were you hungry naked? When were you in prison? When were you nursing home? When, Lord? Verily I say, when you did it not to these, the least of thy brethren, you did it not to me. And that could include members of your own family and in-laws, neighbors, co-workers, people you identify, associate with that irritate the living daylights out of you. But they serve a purpose. In heaven, you are actually going to know the purpose of God creating the mosquito. Why the pit of an avocado is so large. But there are things we have to deal with, interact with, and you can either react or respond.
But these five elements. So when we begin, you have to understand. We're going to be talking about different phases. But the first thing I want us to have this understanding is that God is one. St. Paul in his letter to Timothy says, God wants men to, to know the truth. And this is the truth. God is one. Hear, O Israel, and know, the Lord your God is one. Yet, the mystery of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you see the three persons, but God is a God of love. Jesus came to reveal the nature of God. He said to call the Father Abba. How many of you realize what's happening in England at this moment? That there are bishops in the Anglican church, female bishops, male bishops, homosexual and lesbian bishops, that are meeting because they are looking to change the pronouns and identity of the Lord's Prayer to make it acceptable by using and excluding the term father because so many had negative experiences with their earthly fathers and that God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth that it is hierarchical male that has dominated throughout the millenniums subjugating women but that men and women are equal. So therefore, to address God as a father is an injustice to all women. So we're going to change that. And in the Anglican church, they're looking to re rewrite the Lord's Prayer from the Our Father. So we can go back to the Native Americans, the Great Spirit. And this is what we see in society and in culture. So in doing so, they're taking the words of Christ. But wait a minute, that's not the words of Christ because nobody had a tape recorder. We have no proof. This is just men, men, who said this is what he said. But there's no actual proof. But yet they say they serve God. They are God's representatives here on earth. But they're going to change scripture. But you have to have an understanding when the Antichrist comes, it's going to be a, reli a religious, the supreme religious deception. So we need to have an understanding. Amen? Amen. God is love. So before anything else, look at this. God is without beginning and God is without end. And that's hard for us to have that understanding because everything has a beginning and an end, an origin. So how do we accept this fact when Jesus came to reveal the very nature of God? Because when you step into worship, you're going into eternity. When you step into worship, where are you going? Into eternity. Because God is eternal, without beginning and without end. And Scripture says, and we were in the mind of Christ before all things. So what is it about symbolism? What is it about symbolism? Why is it so necessary? It is a necessary aspect of worship. The cross is the symbol of the greatest hope. But it was a symbol before of shame, torture, punishment, stigma. So first thing, 
God is without beginning and God is without end. Is that correct? Let's look at the catechism, if you would. Open with me. Paragraph 257. Now, understand this. You're accountable for what you receive. Hello? Because you're going to take this with you wherever you go. Because if they're a Christian, it doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. You can go out in the woods and make an altar out of a stump. How many of you believe that? 257. You can go out into the woods and make an altar out of an old stump. If you understand what an altar is. The divine works and tritinerarian missions. Paragraph 257. O blessed light, O trinity and first unity. And that's very important. Unity. Wherever two more gathered together in my name. A husband and wife, two individuals become a unit. They're no longer individuals. They become one, correct? Yet they maintain their individuality, but they become one. That's why when my wife would work and bring home the paycheck, it was mine too. People said, where's your wife? We never see her. She's working so I could be here. I don't have my bank account and her bank account. We're one. She can go through my wallet. She can go through my cell phone anytime. Nothing to hide. In unity, the first requirement is trust. Without trust, you don't have a relationship. You have an arrangement. Without trust, you do not have a relationship. You have an arrangement. But I can only trust you in as much as I can see Jesus within you. I can only trust you in as much as I see Jesus in you. Because God is selfless. He's not selfish. He came to serve, not to be served. He was humble, not prideful or arrogant. God is eternal blessedness, undying life, unfading life. God is love, first and foremost. But people had a distorted image of God because of the fallen nature. People still do. God is very judgmental. You know, he's going to take my life and it's going to be a balance. Good deeds, bad deeds. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we come into the Trinity. God freely wills to communicate the glory of his blessed life. Such is the plan of his love and kindness. So God freely wills to communicate. People, that's dialogue. The glory of his blessed life. So when you're in service, when you're in prayer and worship, when you're singing in praise and glory, does it show forth the glory of his blessed life. Such is the plan of his loving kindness conceived by the Father before the foundation of the world in his beloved Son. He destined us in love to be his sons and to be conformed to the image of his Son through the spirit of sonship. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of God. We're co-heirs in Christ. We share in the priesthood, prophetic, and kingly office of Jesus Christ. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. Did they say son and father? That, that male gender? We need to correct that, don't we? I mean, do we want the world to be evangelized? Should we make corrections to Scripture? Or is God, you know, what is he, a male chauvinist? Where's the world today? This plan is a grace which given to us in Christ Jesus before ages began. Notice what it says right here. Underline that. Before the ages began, or era, E-R-A. When I was in college, we had to know the different, you know, procragnum, 
you know, Neanderthal, you know, the different eras and ages of the stages of man. Or, you know, way the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, Age of Enlightenment, Renaissance. Before what? All ages began stemming immediately from Trinitarian love, from love. It unfolds in the work of creation. Wait, which creation? The creation of Genesis or there was things happening beforehand. The whole history of salvation after the fall, the missions of the Son and the Spirit, which are continued in the mission of the church. Hmm. So if I am to consider this in Hebrews chapter 1. Now we're coming back to the catechism. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. We read, In times past, God spoke in fragmentary and varied ways to our fathers through the prophets. So, in times past, God spoke in fragmentary and varied ways. The devil knows scripture, but he doesn't know how to put it together. So God revealed his plans that scripture would be fulfilled, but he also shrouded it in mystery. Because Lucifer had perfect wisdom, but he didn't have God's wisdom. I mean, who would have ever thought, and the virgin shall be with child? Give me, give me a break. What is he really saying here? Is it a metaphor? What, what, what is the meaning of that? Well, God said what he meant, and he meant what he said. But wait a minute, that's biologically impossible. Well, today, they say men can have a baby, and men can breastfeed. They could go ahead and put a womb in a man. I mean, they got experts testifying to this. Hello? But you know what? Years after archaeologists, anthropologists will be examining human remains, and they'll discover male or female. Hello? People are trying to be God. I mean, they're actually looking at cloning, altering DNA. Hello? But in this, the final age, understand this. That's 2,000 years ago. In this, the what age? Final age. He has spoken to us through his Son, whom he has made heir of all things, and through whom he first created the universe. This Son is the reflection of the Father's glory, the exact representation of the Father's being. Philip, do you yet, you've been with me all this time, and yet you do not understand? If you see me, you see the, for the Father and I are one. And he sustains all things by his powerful what? By his what? So how well do we know the word? How much time do we devote to understanding scripture? If he sustains all things through his powerful word, then that means he sustains his promises made to you in a covenant by his word. Because God is not man that he should lie or human, he should change his mind. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the that my soul may be his word. Oh, wait a minute. You, you, you don't know if that's really his words. How can you tell? It's Satan's going to do whatever he can do to undermine your faith. Faith is confidence in what you hope for. He has to undermine your confidence with doubt. And he has to undermine your hope with despair. Come hell or high water, his word, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall endure. Jesus Christ is the word incarnate. 
Jesus the Christ is more than this Bible. This Bible is the revelation of God's truth. But Scripture also says, if everything was to be recorded, what he said and did, there are not enough books in the world to contain it. In Christ is the fulfillment, the fullness of God's word. Turn back with me to the Catechism, paragraph 2058. Yes, 258, 258, 369. How many remember? What happened when the vine broke? The monkey got choked and they all went to heaven in a little rowboat. The whole divine economy is the common work of the three divine persons. So now we're speaking about three divine persons. Remember, the fullness of God resides in each and every one of us because your body is a temple. And what is the center of worship in that temple? Is God. God is one, but there are three persons. For as the Trinity has only one and the same nature, so too does it have only one and the same operation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not three principles of creation, but one principle. So Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father, right? He's the exact representation of the Father. Doesn't the Holy Spirit point to Jesus? So how, how can we understand their natures? However, each divine person performs the common work according to his unique personal property. Personal property. Thus the church confesses, Following the New Testament, one God and Father from whom all things are, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things are, and of one Holy Spirit and in whom all things are. Say that at Mass. It is above all the divine missions of the Son's incarnation, that's Christmas, actually the um, Annunciation, and the gift of the Holy Spirit that show forth the properties of the divine persons. So what do we end up seeing? I believe in God, the Father, the, the Creator. Okay, He's the Creator. So when you talk about the Apostles' Creed, you also have the Nicene Creed that you say at Mass. You don't say the Apostles' Creed. You say the Nicene because at that time the churches were all fighting to ask to what they believed. This is the early tradition of the church. And it wasn't the Roman Catholic Church. It was all of Christianity. Because of pride and ego, Constantine had them all come together and say, you're going to come up with what is common because they are fighting among themselves. You know, in the armed forces, if they're not fighting a common enemy, they're going to fight among themselves because they're soldiers. They're trained to fight. The problem we have right now is that Christians are fighting Christians. Denomination against denomination. Even within their own denomination, church against church. Pastor against pastor. Envy, jealousy, the nature of the flesh. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Why is the church so weak? Because the people that are going are not being prepared for what they're going to experience. Hello? I mean, if you've been eating junk food all day long and you're getting ready to go to a banquet feast, your belly's already full. They often say, you are what you eat. Paragraph 259. Being a work at once, common and personal, the whole divine economy makes known both what is proper to the divine persons and their one divine nature. I know it's a little confusing. It takes a little while to read through it and understand. Hence, the whole Christian life, the, the partial life or whole life, is a communion with each of the divine persons without any way separating them. Oh, I only pray to Jesus. 
wait a minute, you can't pray to Jesus without the aid of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, it's better that I go, because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Ghost, because it's the Father who is sending the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but I could identify with Jesus. I, you know, that Holy Ghost, that scares me. And the Father, I don't know about that. Let me tell you about my experience with my Father. Man has a distorted image of God because of the fall. He let his trust in his Creator die in his heart when he fell. And thus developed a distorted image of God. You think the devil wants you to know the truth about God? You think Satan wanted, since the fall of Adam and Eve, to know the nature of God? No. And to be honest with you, he's doing a pretty good job in today's world. Hello? All right. So if you got Jesus, you know what? You got it all. This is something that was said many, many years ago, and it still holds true today. But there was a gentleman that had an art collection, and it was world-renowned. And he had one son. And he had a portrait painted of his son. And the gentleman died. And his son was no longer there. He had passed away as well. So the auctioneer, they sent out the notices and people came because there were masters that people wanted for their private collections and for museums. And the auctioneer said, you know, there's a stipulation. We're going to begin with an auction of the portrait of the son. And we opened the floor for bidding. And everybody was looking. They were looking at the masters. You know, uh, what, what would we all give me? We'll start off at $10,000? No. 7000 5000 3000 1000 100 And one hand went up and said, I'll give you $25 for it. He said, $25? Anyone else? Gone once, gone twice, sold to that gentleman for $100, for $25. And ladies and gentlemen, this auction is over. And people will, what, what are you talking about? He said, there's a stipulation. Whoever gets the son gets everything the father had. Whoever got the son received everything the father had. For $25, all those masters went with the son's portrait. When you have Jesus, it's not just Jesus. You get it all. Your body is the temple of the Most High God, and the temple in the wilderness, Solomon's temple, is a mere shadow of what you have within you. And yet, Satan will get us to belittle ourselves, magnify our faults, our shame, our guilt, to discover, to keep from us discovering who we are and what we are and whose we are. Everyone who glorifies the Father does so through the Son in the Spirit. Everyone who follows Christ does so because the Father draws him and the Spirit does what? Moves him. Paragraph 260. The ultimate end of the whole divine economy is the entry of God's creatures into the perfect unity of the blessed Trinity. But even now, we're called to be a dwelling, a what? A dwelling for the most holy trinity. That means your body is his temple. Were we not created in his likeness and image? If a man loves me, says the Lord, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we, wait, when he said we, who's he speaking of? We will come to him and make our home with him. Turn with me. To paragraph 290, 290. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What was before the beginning? Did God exist? But what came 
before the beginning. Three things are affirmed in these first words of Scripture. The eternal God gave a beginning to all that exists outside of himself. So let me ask you, did love exist before all things? Because love is within. Everything else is outside. But God is love. Are we known to be people of love? To what degree do we love? Not that we have loved God, but that God has first loved us. St. John's Epistle. So the temple of God has to be first and foremost preeminent in our life, love. For there are three things that last, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, am I known to be a person of love? Because love by its nature is selfless. Hello? Selfless. Not selfish, selfless. How many of us go into Mass and make judgments? I'll raise my hand. I wish they'd shut up. My God, look how they're dressed. I can't believe that he or she's here. My, you know, should I leave this place, you know? What are they doing going to communion? My God, look at the way they're dressed. Mm. Can they control those kids? They need to take that kid out of church so we can hear what's going on. What's the matter with that priest? I can't even understand him. Why am I even here? Oh, that's right. The time is more convenient for me than going across town. He alone is the creator. The verb create Hebrew, bara, always has God for its subject. The totality of what exists expressed by the formula of the heavens and the earth depends on the one who gives it being or existence. Paragraph 291. In the beginning was the word. Here's St. John's Gospel. The what? Well, in that, the heavens and the earth shall pass away, but my word will endure. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and they will not be burdensome. And the word was God. So when you quote scripture, you're only repeating what God has said. You're not saying that of yourself. Hello? When you quote scripture, you're only repeating what God has established. It's not yours. And God backs up his word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Didn't Jesus in Mark's gospel, chapter 16... These signs shall accompany those that have professed their faith. In my name, you'll expel demons. In my name, you will lay hands on sick and they will recover. In my name, you'll speak in new languages, the gift of tongues. In my name, you'll handle deadly serpents. In my name, you'll take poison without harm. In my name, and it says here that without him was not anything made that was made. And he gives us his name. And at the name of Jesus Christ, Philippians 2, every knee shall bow on earth, in heaven, and below the earth, and tongue confess to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. Many people want Jesus Christ as their Savior, but not as their Lord. They want to do their own thing. Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? For many will come that day and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? And he shall say unto them, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I know you not. It's not how much God is in you. It's how much we are in God. The New Testament reveals that God created everything by the eternal word, his beloved Son. In him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and what? Understand that for him. It's his purpose. We serve him for the glory of God the Father. Scripture says this, 
The Father is glorified in that we become disciples of Christ and that we must bear fruit and our fruit must endure so that all we ask is his name that will he do. The Father, understand this, is glorified because of you being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not because of what you do, not because of what you stand for, not because of your supposedly success upon this earth, but simply because you have allowed Jesus to become your Lord, your God, and your Savior. The Father is glorified simply by that act of faith. When you look in that mirror, can you see the glory of God? You should. You create in his likeness and image. And yet we're all distinctively unique, but we have so much in common. We all have two ears, but could you say our nose may be a little bit different? Maybe our ears a little bit different? Maybe our chin, fingers? You know, we all come in all, am I a pear or am I an apple? All right. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything works together for a greater good to those who love the Lord and trust the Lord and call according to his purpose. He holds everything together because he has a plan. The church's faith likewise confesses the creative action of the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. What do we say? I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. So when we talk about Jesus, he's the architect. Proverbs chapter 8. He's the architect the craftsman. But the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. And together with the Father and Son, he's worshiped and glorified. And he has spoken through who? The prophets. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That's what gives us hope. Without prophecy, people become demoralized. God cannot deny himself. Though all men be proven liars, God is truth. The giver of life, the creator spirit, the source of every good. Paragraph 292. The Old Testament suggests that a new covenant reveals the creative action of the Son and the Spirit, inseparably one with that of the Father. This creative cooperation is clearly affirmed in the church's rule of faith. There exists but what? One God. Well, what about Allah? Allah means master. To the Christian, it's Abba, Daddy. But to the Muslim, it's Allah, Master. We're children of God. There exists but one God. He is the Father, God the Creator, the Author, the Giver of order. He's, he's the Giver of what? Always remember that. Order. Structure and order. Did God make a mistake by creating just man and woman? Or he didn't foresee that there'd be other genders? Okay. Just, I'm just checking. That's all. He made all things by himself. Did he need our advice or opinions? Did he solicit it? Carrie, what do you think I should do? You know, He made all things by himself, that is, by his word and by his wisdom, by the Son and the Spirit, who, so to speak, are his hands. Creation is the common work of the what? Holy Trinity. Paragraph 393. Very important. Scripture and tradition. 293. Paragraph 293. Scripture and tradition. Remember, Scripture is written, tradition is oral. Never cease to teach and celebrate this fundamental truth. What's that fundamental truth? The world was made for the glory of what? God. St. Bonaventure explains that God created all things not to increase his glory, but to show it forth and communicate it 
For God has no other reason for creating than his love and goodness. Creatures came into existence when the key of love opened his hand. Satan doesn't want you to know God's nature. But we talk about this in terms and elements of the Trinity. Now, in the area and in the aspects of the Trinity, everything of creation is outside of God. But the heavens and the earth, and when I say heavens, I'm talking about cosmos, the universe, the stars, luminaries, because there's a heaven. But God is love. And that is the integral and essential. If I have faith to move mountains and have not love, I gain nothing. If I turn my body over to be martyred and have not love, I gain. If I sell all that I have and give to the poor and have not love, I gain. So the, the essential element in everything of my existence is this one thing. Let's simplify it. Whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever I think, is it in love? What's the standard that I'm using? Not the world's definition of love. Not the world's definition of love. God's love. Am I known to be selfless? And if so, is my body still the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is it? Then what does Scripture mean when it says, Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, our spiritual worship. To what degree? Do we easily, freely, without resistance, offer ourselves as a sacrifice while we're still living? Jesus embraced his cross. If you wish to be my disciple, then you've got to follow in my steps. You've got to take up your cross and what? St. Paul said, I wish to know the pattern of his death that I might experience the power of his resurrection. Now, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he makes a comment. Tarry in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Now, he's, he's his ascension. He's leaving. Stay in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power. Then go be my witnesses. You need the power. Where does the power come from? The Holy Spirit. Pentecost, the birthday of the church, correct? Where's the power in your life? Where's the power in my life? Where's the conviction for humanity? Do we love the things the world that do we love the things God loves, but do we hate the things God hates? Now, you use that word hate, which is the perversion of love, but the wisdom of God is to hate evil. Evil is the absence of love. People are wicked, but good people do evil things. But you can't say no human being is evil. Because they're willed by God, created in love through love and for love. And God gives them free will to make a shipwreck of their life if they so choose and go to hell. Free choice. You can't control anyone. We got a hard time controlling ourselves. But only by the grace of God we can change ourselves. By God's grace, but also by the grace of God, inspire other people the desire to change by being a model. So we talk about the first and foremost that when we're going to church, understand what purpose does that church building exist? St. Paul VI said that church building, the institutional church, exists only for one thing, promote the gospel. But people look at the institutional church because of man is flawed. Christ is the head of the church. So when people don't go to church because of people, they're not looking at the head. 
They're looking at the body that's broken. So were they in there for God at all? No. Because their eyes and their mind and their heart wasn't on the head. It was on the body. Okay, I want us to look at page one. We spoke about God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, Trinity in one. So when you're praying and calling upon the name of Jesus, you're actually praying to the Trinity. Hello? You're praying to the Trinity. You carry within yourself the Trinity, the Creator, the Architect, and the Lord and Giver of life. Everything of creation is outside of God. What is, the, what is inside God is love. What's inside? Yep. You ever stop to consider why the sun doesn't burn out? God designed it, but notice it's not but a big ball of gas. But it hadn't burned out, has it? So, and climate control. Let me see. So God's not in control, you know, when he created everything and established laws that um, he made a mistake. Uh, we got to deal with climate control that he kind of messed up. Well, it's man's fault. But God has a plan. And to understand this, you and I, our life is a journey. Creation is in a journey. Not just your life. And the Mass is a journey. A church service is a journey. Hello? But what are you expecting? What are you looking to achieve, accomplish? When you go to a church service and you're praising God, why? For what reason? What purpose? Are you there to praise God? To feel good about yourself? To impress somebody with your voice? I've heard some musicians say, you know, I don't mind going to church because I just love to jam. I just go, I love to play music. I said, wait, do you realize when you're playing music what's happening? Man, I just enjoy you know, playing with people that appreciate it. Yeah, but do you understand why you're doing this? Why do you go to church? To simply fulfill an obligation? So I want us to look at page one. Now we've talked about, briefly touched on, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, Trinity in one. Now the first thing we're going to be talking about, remember we talked about age, A-G-E, era, E-R-A, phases. The first one is the creation of heaven, a dimension. That dimension we call heaven is outside of God. Heaven is outside of God. Why would God create heaven? But if you understand this, heaven is temporary. Hello? Heaven is temporary as we understand it. Heaven is temporary. Because our journey is going to be from Genesis through Revelation, past, present, and future, because time, past, present, and future, is all before God. There's no time in eternity. What did I say? There's no time in eternity. Is that correct? Well, in the doxility of the Our Father. Turn with me to paragraph 2853. 2853. How many of you realize time was created? Time was a part of creation. Everything with time is a part of creation. 
Because with God, there is no time. Everything is before God. He said, huh? 28.53, isn't his title Yahweh I Am? Is it? It didn't say I was or I will be. He says, I am. Before Abraham, I am. Jesus, what about this? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Paragraph 2854, when we ask to be delivered from the evil one, and this is personified, this is an individual, this is Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the devil, we pray as well to be freed from all evils, what? Present, past, and what? Of which he is the author or instigator. In this final petition of the Our Father, the, of the Lord's Prayer, the church brings before the Father, before who? Why before the Father? Because you bring it before the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Hello? You bring it because without Jesus Christ, your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's Jesus Christ that gives merit. Hello? If you if you get if you bring if you have the son, you have everything. All the distress of the world, along with deliverance from the evils that overwhelm humanity, she implores the precious gift of peace. My peace I leave you, my peace I give you, but not as the world gives peace do I give unto you, and the grace of perseverance in expectation of what? Christ's return. What is the profession of faith? Christ has died. Christ has risen. He's coming back to judge the... That's prophetic. That's prophetic. By praying in this way, she anticipates in humility of faith the gathering together of everyone and everything in him who has the keys of death and Hades, who is, who was, and what? The Almighty. So when did Jesus receive the keys of death and Hades when Lucifer had him. Not when he ascended into hell, descended, not when he descended at the resurrection because he had the trial of faith. So, with that element, let's look at this. The first thing is heaven. Why this dimension of heaven? Now you have structure, order, and purpose. You have structure, you have order. We just said... Scripture says God is the God of order, not of chaos. The devil's chaos. So if there's chaos in your life, guess who's behind it? You got confusion in your mind, guess who's behind it? You're being exploited and manipulated. If you don't have peace, you, you worry or have anxiety, the devil is manipulating you. If you're worrying... You're carrying the burden. You're not letting God. Because you're lacking 
trust. Worry is a lack of trust. But if I don't worry, I don't care. If I'll, I'll, I'll worry because I love. No. You're trying to control and manipulate. So with this heaven, understand this. Heaven is the heaven of God, but the earth he's given to man. For heaven is the throne of God, but the earth is his footstool. You don't have earth yet. You have heaven. But there are articles in heaven. There's a throne. There's an altar. There are utensils, sensor coals, etc. Now, I'm not going into detail with this. I'm just trying to bring this because we could spend God knows how long with this. This is the thing. Heaven and these articles exist before the creation of angels. Was the earth created for man or man for the earth? Huh? Okay. God has purpose in all things. Did he created the earth before he created humanity? He created heaven and all these articles before the angels. He didn't put the cart before the horse. He put the horse before the cart to pull it. There's structure. There's order. So the first thing, so when they ain't, and remember, Lucifer's created. He's a created being. He's a pure spirit. Angels are pure spirit. So, he creates his throne. God doesn't need a throne. He exists. God's love. But he created a throne. He created an altar. Didn't God tell Moses when he was on the mount, construct me a dwelling place, a tabernacle, after the pattern you have seen in heaven? Wasn't that his model? Was it? Okay, so that existed before the creation before the creation of angels. So we need to have a look because you got an altar in church. I've been in many full gospel churches. I've been in many Assembly of God churches, Word churches. They have an altar, and they give what is called an altar call. You know what that altar call is for? Give your life to Christ. It's a message, an invitation. But an altar is necessary. And you have an altar in your heart. And you have to understand, you're the sanctuary. Your heart is a sanctuary for sinners. Help carry each other's burdens, thus fulfill the law of Christ. What I say to you is pray for your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Can you bring them into your heart? Do you have a burden for their souls? Hello? The second element, after he creates these things, because we normally think of creation as this world and this cosmos, the universe. No. All things are created in him, through him, and for him. And apart from him, nothing comes into existence. God has a plan because he took into account knowing angels would fall and man would fall. Hello? but he still has a plan. Why? What you and I await are new heavens 
and a new earth where the justice of God will prevail. So what are we going to rule and reign over? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it dawned upon man inasmuch as what God has prepared for those who love him. That's futuristic. Because 2 Peter 3 says, this creation as we know it, the cosmos, this earth, is going to disappear in flames. Jesus is returning. God has a plan. So let's look at this. So the second thing, after you think about heaven, think about heaven, there's structure, order, purpose, now there's worship. Why is, is God that prideful, egotistical, egocentric, self-centered, vain, that, he, that he's in need of worship? Or is it a natural response of gratitude and appreciation for who he is, what he is? Do we worship God to get something out of him? Or do we worship him because he's love? And love is selfless and gives of itself. My dad used to pray this prayer, having had ten kids. Lord, give me the grace to endure my blessings because they were challenging. But he couldn't think of his life without one of his kids, as much as we grieved him. They asked him, did you ever think about divorcing Elaine? He said, divorcing her? Never. Killing her? Many times. <laughs> so we go from that dimension to heaven and articles. There are inhabitants now. There are angels which are pure spirit. Lucifer is a created being. He's created. He's not God. The opposite of Lucifer, Satan, Beelzebub, the devil, is not Jesus. It's the closest is Michael the archangel. Michael means likened unto God. And there are seven choirs of angels, and God bestows upon them free will. So there's a throne, there's an altar, there are utensils, as in the first dimension, but now there are angels and instruments, musical instruments that's used in worship. When Satan was cast, people said, well, he took his instruments with him. He took his with them, but they still had instruments in heaven. The call and the gifts of God are irrevocable. Satan still has power. And there's rank and file, because there's structure and there's order. Turn with me to paragraph 328. 328. The existence of angels, a truth of faith. Now, what the church says is, there is absolutely no room for doubt or question. It is an absolute truth of faith. The existence of the spiritual, non-corporal beings, that means they don't have a body like ours, that sacred scripture usually calls angels. You know what's another name for sacred scripture? The Word. Your Bible. 
is a truth of faith. The witness of Scripture is as clear as the unanimity of tradition. Who are they? St. Augustine says angel is the name of their office, the nine choirs of angels. We know there are seven archangels that are around the throne. You have seraphim, you have cherubim. Listen, you have your guardian angel. Every angel has a purpose, a job description, a personality. Hello? What it says? Angel is the name of their office. Archangel, guardian angel, seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, but not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is what? Now this is the difference. Underline this. From what they are is a spirit. From what they do is an angel. But they're a pure spirit. You cannot fight him. You can't fight demons with natural means. For the weapons of a warfare are not merely carnal or human, but are mightily through God for the tearing down of strongholds. In my name you will what? Expel demons. You, In other words... I give you dominion. Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. You shall tread upon scorpions and snakes, trample down the lion and the dragon, and nothing likewise shall harm you. Now, I want to just leave you with this. Please bear with me. Satan has instruments. Music is an essential part in what? In what? Worship. But we associate it with praise. But instruments are used for praise and for... And you know, everything in creation has its own voice, makes its own music. You ever listen to crickets by rubbing their legs? What about zakitas, locusts? Everything has voice. The wind with a broken reed, doesn't it kind of like? But things evolve. Things evolve. Time is subject to God. Time is subject to who? God's not subject to time. Why do you think patience is a virtue? How many of us get caught up with time? Oh, I'm late for my appointment. You know, you're not getting any younger. Oh, what? You hit 50? Uh, midlife? No, midlife isn't 50. Right now it's 40 because the average lifespan's 80. I hate to kind of, you know. <laughs> Lord, but I want, I want to be like Abraham. He had Isaac. He was 100. And then after Sarai died, he remarried and had five sons and more daughters. The third stage is you have heaven, you have articles, you have angels, you have instruments. But I'm going to leave you with this till next week. It says earth, inhabitants, and sanctuaries before Genesis 1-1. Structure, order, purpose, worship, and trade. 
trade or job description per se. So is it possible, because of Scripture, to hit you with this mystery? When God created Lucifer, and in Lucifer's fall, there was an earth. And there were inhabitants. And there were sanctuaries. So a lot of these mysteries that people speak of with the deluge, continental drift theories, civilizations existed before, many of these skulls and human remains. Is it possible? Now, this is where I'm playing with your mind. That there was an existence prior to the flood. Was there an existence prior to the fall? So when we talk about the mysteries of what was it like before the flood, what was it like at the fall? At the fall. Because what did God create these angels for? Yes, worship, absolutely, but there's a purpose. There's a purpose. Was there, because in Genesis 1-1, the earth was a formless wasteland. God doesn't create darkness. God doesn't create waste. What transpired, because there is a separation now, because the separation is the darkness from the light. Not the light from the darkness, the darkness from the light. If all things were created in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, the second person of the Trinity, he is light. I'm the light of the world. Christ is light. Then darkness had to be separated from the light, not the light from the darkness. The light goes into darkness to illuminate. There's a separation there's a rebellion. The kingdom of darkness, who is the head of the kingdom of darkness? You have the kingdom of light and the kingdom of... That's Genesis 1-1, before the fourth day when the luminaries, the sun and the stars, were created to govern the earth. So a question remains... Is it possible in Scripture? Because we have to go back to God. So that when you're experiencing Mass, exactly what are you dealing with? Not everything is as it appears. Now, I'm leaving you with this. Because later a question has to come because with the environment of this world, with the environment, how was it that demons had intercourse with women and spurned giants? So when we say a mass, you have to have an understanding that not everything was as it is. 
And you have to understand that everything serves God's purpose for his glory. So when you think of the way things are, there are a lot of changes were made to present the world as you know it today. But nothing is ever wasted. And that which existed, existed before. So what is the new world going to be like? What are the new heavens and the new earth going to be like? So you think the world was always like it was? So when you stand before God, you're going back in time. And then you're going to the future. So in Mass, time is all before God now. So simultaneously, you have two tables, but yet it's one. What is taking place? To have a greater appreciation of who we are in Christ as his temple. That we need to go into the world and proclaim the good news. It gives purpose, it gives meaning to your existence, it gives knowledge and understanding as to what you're dealing with so that you can have confidence in what God reveals in the Bible concerning you and I. Not everything is as it appears. You've got to understand angels. How many of you pray to your children's guardian angels? then the reality is, to what degree do you believe? Because it is an absolute truth of faith. Um, So we're going to take this and we're going to walk through it because this is just a preparation for the Mass. Well, there was a judgment before we were created, but it was their own doings. You dealt with the angels. God didn't cast them out. It was through his creation they were cast out. Who cast them out? Huh? Which which order of angels? Uh Uh-uh. No? Cherubim. Cherub. Okay, so then he's cast to the earth, and it's in his ascendancy from the earth that St. Michael, the archangel, intercepts him. And then when he's cast, the world becomes a desert, a wasteland. Where did darkness come from? What is the nature of darkness? Most of us don't live in darkness. The extreme majority of humanity does not live in darkness. We live in the twilight One foot in heaven, one foot in this world. To what degree do we gravitate to the light? To those, as Scripture says, to the right, towards understanding and justice. To the left, why do you think we call liberals the left, conservatives the right? So, next week, we're going to explore this area. Amen?